Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. All right, better. You can see why we need a Wednesday night. We might have to add a Tuesday or a Thursday, man. There's so many, so many good things going on. As I'm sitting here listening to the announcements and the testimonies and just thinking about it in one week, what, what's been going on in this church and with our families and our extended families, um, from the kids to the adults to the men, something coming up for, for the women. It's just, uh, um, I would say it's not really something that we do. It's just a lifestyle of... of when the Lord gets a hold of you and uh, you just want to spend time with the Lord and spend time with his people, uh, it's just a good thing, just such a good thing. So I'm encouraged this morning uh, at, at what God is already doing. I, I don't know about you. I know Gary got up here and kind of thanked the worship team. Uh, man, I, I thought worship could have just kept going today. Amen. Amen. But uh, you got to get in your car and put some worship music on if you want it to keep going. You can do that the rest of the week. Come back on Wednesday. So we're in the middle of our series, uh, The Invasion. So we're, we're at week three. I've been so blessed by our October, our October series. Um, the overarching theme has been uh, really about how countries try so hard not to be invaded. And to some degree, their defense mechanisms end up not only keeping their enemies out, but it also keeps their allies oftentimes from being able to get in. We talked about uh, when we first started the series that if you don't allow your allies to get to you and to get close to you, what ends up happening is you eventually run out of supplies. Uh, you eventually can no longer defend yourself even against your enemies and they'll come in. We need allies. Say allies. allies. We need friends. We need family. We need allies. We need sisters in Christ to go have a slumber party with us. We need brothers in Christ to go out and hit golf balls with us. We need allies. Amen? Amen. Many believers, when we realize, uh, you know, even early on in our salvation or early on in our walk, like Angela said, it's like, man, you just don't want to go to hell, right? So we realize that we try so hard not to go to hell or not to be invaded by the enemy and not to let uh, uh, the devil and his wiles and his demons into our lives, into our marriages, into our families, our kids, those types of places that we end up keeping our greatest ally, which is the Lord, out and away from us as well. What ends up happening when we get to that point is God has to invade. I love Angela's testimony, right? You have the enemy saying, just try not to go to hell. 
Just focus on defending yourself. Don't worry about reading. Don't worry about growing. Don't worry about being uh, encouraged in some of these other areas of your walk. And then God says, no, I'm going to invade you with my word. I'm going to invade you with a course. I'm going to invade you with some other content and some dinners, whatever it might be. He has to try to get in so that he can bless your life. And what you end up seeing is the testimony that Angela said. Now she has a Bible that she's read through and the pages are worn, right? Because of that invasion. God doesn't just let you stay how you are. Somebody say amen. amen. He will invade. So in week one, we saw the invasion of a nation. We talked about how the kingdom of heaven will invade an actual nation, invade a country, and change the fundamental fabric of that society. All right? He takes rule, he takes reign, he ends up changing how you see things politically, he ends up changing how you see educational content in your nation, what the kids should be learning and what they should not be learning. He might change the, uh, the ages. The country might say, uh, you can't drink till you're 21, right? God might say, uh, let's make it 25. Or in Mexico, they might say, let's make it 18. See, depending on who rules your country, they establish what the rules are, right? God does the same thing when it comes to, uh, when he invades, when it comes to the religious ideals of your society, right? We now live in a, in a nation that at one point said, in God we trust, and one point said that we want to pray in schools. Now we don't pray in schools. Now you're allowed to have whatever gender you want in schools. Now if you, if you say, God, that's hate speech in schools. You see how an invasion takes place and you don't really recognize it sometimes? God wants to invade a nation, your nation. Have new rule, have new reign, have new authority. Right? We talked about how a lot of times when a nation's invaded, it takes a generation or two before uh, it really gets into the hearts and minds of the people that this is now how we live, this is now how we think. And we talked about our kids here, uh, when your family, when your nation has been invaded by God, many of those kids, did you hear them during worship? Was I the only one that heard this, the kids at the top of their lungs screaming out, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God? They sing it out when many of us are, are closed mouths. We won't raise our hands. They've got their hands up and their eyes closed. You know why? Because they were born into this nation that belongs to God. You and I were invaded, right? When you're invaded, you're so used to behaving like the country used to tell you to behave. So it takes us a long time before we're able to say, you know what, uh, this is now my identity. This is now my nation. I'm going to lift my hands and scream out to the top of my lungs, right? But the kids, they don't have any of that past history. They're born as Christians for many of these kids. It still amazes me to watch my kids and I'm thinking, man, I wasn't doing that when I was their age. I'm excited to watch some of our kids that have gone into junior high and gone into high school, right? Watching them serve God and come faithfully week after week. Why? Because the invasion that took place with their parents and our families here, you know, it's, it's foreign to us, but it's not foreign to them. It's a wonderful thing. So week one was a good one. Uh, week number two, we talked about invasion of the home. Raymond preached an awesome message about how Jesus invades homes. Uh, he talked about uh, how Jesus told Mary and Martha... I'm going to invade your home. I'm coming whether you like it or not, and I'm bringing 12 of the homies with me, and we're going to have dinner at your place. That's a home invasion. He talked about how Zacchaeus met Jesus, and Jesus said the same thing. I'm going to invade your house, and I'm going to have a meeting with some other men from the city, from the community in your house. A home invasion. I thought in listening we weren't here, but that's why we have the app message. I got to listen to the message. So I listened to what Raymond, Raymond preached, and I was in the car saying amen and, and wishing that I was here with you guys. But one of the most powerful things I thought Raymond uh, shared, he said that every time Jesus invaded a home, he brought healing. 
If Jesus is allowed to invade your home, not only the nation, well, we have a Christian worldview, but what good is your Christian worldview if it doesn't actually, uh, if it's not visible in your actual home, right? If you allow Jesus into your home and to change some things around and you prepare for the Lord to come in and you allow him to minister to you and your kids and your family and loved ones when they come over, powerful healing will take place. He raised kids from the dead. He raised people who couldn't walk healed people who couldn't see. People were ripping the roof off of houses to get into where he was. Amen. So home invasion uh, last week I thought was, was super powerful. And this week as we continue the series, I want to pray and then uh, I'm going to have a video show for you guys to, to start this morning. So just bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you allow us to, to know you. We thank you that you send your spirit to dwell within us. We thank you that we can worship you, Lord God. And as we uh, uh, minimize ourselves, Lord God, as we humble ourselves and lift you up and cry out to you for how glorious and wonderful you are, somehow it's encouraging to us and brings us joy, Lord. You are miraculous. You are wonderful and amazing, God. We thank you, Lord, that you're willing to invade for many of us, Lord, when we've tried so hard to keep the enemy at bay and we find ourselves actually excluding you from our lives as well, Lord, we thank you that you don't give up on us. We thank you that you don't just stay outside the walls and stay outside the home that you invade. You find a way in uh, not to hurt us, Lord, but to protect us and to provide for us. You are our ally. You bring resources, Lord God, that we cannot live without. We ask this morning, Lord that you would do exactly that. Invade our hearts, invade our minds, Lord. Come in and have your way. We need you now more than ever. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Holy Spirit comes uninvited and invades people's personal space and their privacy. And he says, the way you're living is wrong. It's sinful. You should feel convicted about it. That's what that scripture said right now in John. He says, Jesus tells the disciples, listen, I'm leaving. You should be excited about it because when I leave, I'm going to send my spirit and my spirit is going to convict people. They're going to tell them what's right. They're going to tell them what's wrong. They're going to have an idea. The spirit is going to convict them. How does he do that? He invades their privacy. He invades their personal space. They're not saved. They don't know him. So it is an invasion. Somebody say amen. I believe that before we know the Lord from past experience and looking at the lives of others that, that I know, before we know the Lord, he invades our thoughts, he invades our actions, and he invades our pride. John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, the following day, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's about 30 years old, and he's calling disciples unto himself, which means he's calling people that don't know him, right? It's not like they've been walking with him for years, nobody's been walking with him yet, right? So we don't know him yet. It says, the following day, Jesus went, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? 
you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you hereafter, Nathanael, you shall see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Nathanael had his private thoughts invaded. In verse 48, it talks about, he said, I saw you sitting under the, under the fig tree. Nathaniel comes back and he's thinking to himself, man, I was by myself. I was alone. I was in thought. And you're just going to come in like you know me and invade my thoughts. You knew where I was. You knew where I was sitting. I was all alone and you weren't there. You invaded my thoughts. That's my personal thoughts. That's my personal space. Who are you to come into that? But you know what it did? It convicted him to the point where he said, you must be God. There's something different about you than anybody else I've ever met. But there was an invasion that took place. When no one's around you, and you're just thinking about life. It could be good thoughts. It could be bad thoughts. Uh, please believe me that the Lord will invade your privacy. And he will begin to speak to you uh, about your private thoughts. And attempt to call you unto himself. Many of us can look back to when we were unsaved. And it was, it was oftentimes the times when we were just sitting and thinking. Contemplating life. Contemplating our decisions. Thinking about where we are in life. Thinking about where we were in our relationships when we started to hear God kind of invade. Somebody say amen. I think that the thought life is so important, both before you're saved and after you're saved. You know, we didn't set it up this way, but to hear some of the testimonies and, and to be getting some of the emails lately for people who are, are going on and doing the courses and finishing one section so that they're ready for the next section, to see what people are saying and see how people are thinking and see how people are growing, it's just a reminder and confirmation to me that God cares about our thought life. Many of us think that he only cares about our actions, Right? He cares about your thought life, and he'll invade it. It's powerful. When we begin to think, you know what we realize? We're awakened to the reality that not only do uh, we serve a God who loves us, but we serve the God who created consciousness, right? Like, he created your mind. What you think, how you see yourself, and how you see the world, your consciousness, right? Self-awareness, right? I'm not going to try to be a scientist right here, but... We are, the only, we are the only beings on planet Earth that are, that are self-aware and aware of others, and not in the regular sense of just uh, kill or be killed or we run in a pack. No, you actually think about yourself, and you think about how you relate to other people. God created that, and then he wants to invade it, to invade your thought life. You think you're like Nathaniel sitting under a tree all alone. No, you're not alone. An invasion is on the way. In John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus meets this woman, and she uh, has left her home to go to draw water from a well. Jesus meets her at the well. Verse 13, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, Hey, whoever drinks from this water, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw anymore. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said well that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you, tr you spoke truly. Jesus decided he wanted to invade her private actions. <laughs> Look at that. They meet, they talk, he's comfortable with her. Hey, are you thirsty? I'm thirsty too. Can I get some water? I'll give you some. Sounds great. Hey, by the way, if you want to keep drinking that water, you'll be back here every day, maybe twice a day. But I have something that I can give you and you'll never thirst again. 
Oh, that sounds good. Well, let me have some of that. How can I get it? Well, let me talk to you and your husband about it. Let's make it a family affair. Let's do a little counseling. Let's, let's get some family direction moving here. She said, oh, I don't have a husband, which was true, but it was a half-truth. Somebody say amen. <laughs> How many of us know a lot about telling half-truths? She tells him the half-truth, and then you would think that this man that she never met before, who doesn't really know her and doesn't have a relationship where he should feel comfortable talking to her about her personal business, you know what he says? I'm going to invade your privacy right now. I don't care that it's your personal business. I don't care that you want me to stay 24 inches, two feet from you. I'm going to invade that and get all up in your actual actions. I know you don't have a husband. You've had five, and you're shacked up with somebody that you're not married to, sleeping with them right now. Conviction. Remember when I said, when you're unsaved, the way that he invades is through conviction. He doesn't care about hurting your feelings. He didn't care about hurting my feelings. There's an invasion that's taken place. He says, these are your actual actions, and I want you to feel convicted about it. Remember what the Holy Spirit says? How you're living is wrong. you got to stop. Jesus can save you. Jesus can help you. How else can he do that but invading and bringing that conviction to our lives? I've found, both while saved, definitely while before saved, uh, that Jesus has no problem coming and putting your personal business out there. He just really doesn't care. Like, you know how we sometimes feel bad, like, hey, I'm going to put you out there like that? He's not like that. What he says is, either put yourself out there with me, or please believe me, it's going to be put out there for the world to see. Either we can deal with it one-on-one, -on -one, or there's going to come a time where the only way to get your attention is for me to put it out there. I have a feeling he would have liked to tell her, isn't it interesting that you came to the well today and it's just you and I? If it had been yesterday, maybe you and some of your girlfriends would have been here. Maybe you and the guy you're shacked up with would have been here. Maybe my 12 disciples would have been with me instead of somewhere else. But I'm giving you an opportunity for it just to be me and you and put it out there. But it's got to be out there because I'm bringing conviction. That's the only way to call you to myself. That's the only way to get you to repent is to bring conviction. He invaded her personal actions. I think it's a good time to remind you that there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. We all say that before, uh, before we know God, people should stop judging us and stop condemning us. Who are you to judge me and my actions and what I do and where I go and how I behave and who I'm with? Stop judging me. Only God can judge me. Stop condemning me. You don't know me. Don't call me a hellion. <laughs> Conviction, however, comes from the Spirit of God, like I've been talking to you about this morning. Condemnation is the reward for our actions and our behavior. Nobody can condemn you. You condemn yourself. Nobody can condemn me. I condemn myself by my actions or by my thoughts and by my behavior. Our own hearts and our own minds, the very places that God is trying to invade is what condemns us. Listen to this story. John chapter 3, verse 16. How many of you guys know John 3, 16? Right? Praise God. He so loved the world. He sent his only son. Right? Kathy got up here this morning and testified. Man, he's the greatest giver. Isn't that what you said, Kathy? He gave his own son. He paid our debt. We should be debt free. Amen. Praise the Lord. But we don't like verse 17, 18, 19, <laughs> and 20. We love 16. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Look at it. He's saying, look, I'm not condemning you. You're already condemned. What you've done means that you deserve hell and damnation. But you hide it in the darkness so nobody knows. But I know. I see the darkness. I see your thoughts. And I know your actions, whether I'm there or not, in your mind. If you put the whole context of the scripture together, it's so powerful. He says, listen, you're already condemned. I came to convict you so that you would expose what you're condemned for so that I can forgive you. If you want to keep hiding it and you love the darkness and you don't want to be in the light and you don't want to be exposed, then please believe me, you're going to deal with the condemnation and the consequences. If you just talk to me at the well and put it out there, I'll tell you how to get the water and how to be washed clean and how to be forgiven. But you got to come out to the well. You got to be willing to drink the water. You got to stop telling me half truths. You got to let me invade your actions. Many of us, before we got saved, we thought we had private actions. <laughs> There's no such thing. There's no such thing as private actions. God sees all, God knows all, and he's aware of all, and he's constantly trying to invade because he loves us. We live in the day and age of cell phones, so people who thought they were getting away with stuff or used to get away with things that they would do in private, I'm not going to give you the whole laundry list of things, but how many people have got caught on tape now? Remember like 40 years ago, there was no caught on tape? <laughs> now people are more aware of what they do because anybody can pull out a cell phone and actually videotape them. God's been trying to tell us since Adam, listen, I got you on tape. <laughs> there's, no, there's no reason for, for you to think that I didn't see you. He came in to talk to Adam and Eve. He says, Adam, where are you? And they're hiding behind a tree. And, and God's like, I put the tree there. Like, you're in my garden. I made you. Why are you hiding from me? It's so idiotic. But how many of us have spent so many years hiding from God? as if he doesn't see us and we have private actions? And how many of us now, even in the faith, as if he doesn't see us and we have private actions? So Nathaniel, the invasion of the private thoughts. The woman at the well, he shows us the invasion of the private actions. And the last one, like I said earlier, look at invasion of pride. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but, but, but one, and that is God. Stop there real quick at verse 19. What did Nathaniel say? He said, uh, they went to him and said, We found him. We found the Messiah. He's Jesus uh, of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right here, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher. And Jesus says, hold on. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Are you saying that you know that I'm God and you know that I'm good? One of my favorite lines in, in a song, uh, it says, uh, it's using this verse and it says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then the, the artist says, the only thing good came out of Nazareth. I'll move on. Jesus says to this man, why do you call me good? No one's good but one, and that's God. 
You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to Jesus, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Say one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Not done yet. Stop there real quickly at verse 22. Today, we're going to be going out, sidewalk sanctuary, feeding friends to distribute to the poor. When you tithe into this church, when you offer into this church, you are investing into the feeding of the hungry, the clothing of those who are naked and destitute and hurting and giving the bread of life because man cannot live on bread alone we also need the word of God and we need prayer when we're done here today we're going to get into our cars we're going to drive down to a homeless community off of the 57 freeway we're going to pull out uh, barbecue pits and actually cook for them and engage them and remind them you guys are human beings you guys are children of God or can become adopted grafted in children of God we're not here to just drive by and throw some sandwiches at you we actually want to talk to you, hand you some food, sit here, pray with you, right? Jesus tells this man who wants to inherit eternal life, he says, it's not just about the thought game, and it's not just about your heart game. He says, sell everything, give it to the poor, and walk with me on a daily basis. How many of us want true salvation, true followers of Christ, or how many of us just want to be a little bit better? Tell me what to do, Jesus, how to perform, and then I'll, you know, I'll feel good about who I am as a, as a man or as a woman. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Sell it all, give it to the poor, and then you just walk with me, follow me. Verse 23, when the man heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he became sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. It's not, easy. it's not evil to have wealth. What he's saying is it's very hard if, you, if you're not capable of putting your wealth below your God. If your wealth is going to stay above your God, well, then you're not going to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven because God has to be first. When we go through financial peace, it's not to tell you how to become rich. It's to tell you that you're already rich. Be a wise steward of the things that God has given you. Keep God first. So here's the issue that the rich young ruler had, uh, and the Lord invaded. Jesus invaded his private pride, right? This was his pride. This was his area of pride. Uh, it was an invasion of privacy, and it was an invasion of his pride when Jesus comes all the way up into that particular area. This man built his worth, his value, and his identity on how much money he had. Jesus invades brings conviction, and then the man is forced to make a decision. Question I have for you. Sometimes we can look around and say, well, none of us are rich, so that's not our problem. Well, what have you built your worth on? What have you built your value on? And what have you built your identity on? And are you too proud to lay that down for Jesus? Because that's the problem, right? He says, you built your worth, your value, your identity is on being a rich man. So if I tell you I no longer want you to be rich and I want you to have me as your riches, he says, I'm too proud to do that. It took me a long time to get this wealth. It took me a long time to get these riches. People see me as a rich young man. That's my identity. How can I lay that down for you? That's pride. And Jesus brings conviction into that area of pride. I remember before knowing the Lord, 
that there were so many areas of my life where I just said, well, that's just who I am, and that's who I've become, and it's taken me a long time to become this person, and I know that it's not the best person, but it's me. So don't judge me and don't ask me to change. This is just who I am. It's the same problem. Can you see it? It's the same issue of pride. You saying who you are and how you think and how you want to behave, and Jesus wants to invade that and say, I want to deal with your pride. We have to make a decision. Are we willing to lay it down? Or like the rich young ruler, do we turn and walk away from the Lord? Before we're saved, it's always about bringing conviction into these areas of our life, our thought life, our action life, our pride. So what about those of us who are saved? He still wants to get all up in our space and invade our privacy, but it's not primarily through conviction. There will always be, like I said before, this element of conviction in our lives, and it's a great thing to have the conviction of the Lord alive in your life. But how does he do it when you're saved? He does it through invading with intimacy. An invasion through intimacy. John chapter 20, verse 19 it says, then at the same day, at evening, being the first day of the week, this is just after the, the crucifixion, the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Stop there real quick. Focus here. The doors are shut. Why are the doors shut where the disciples are? Say it like you mean it. For fear of the Jews, which means the enemy is outside, so they've closed the door to protect themselves from the enemy, which is the whole theme of invasion, right? They don't want to be invaded by the enemy, but at the same time you think, well, God can't get in either, so God has to invade. The doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful invasion. They're afraid. They're trying to keep the enemy out. But at the same time, they're preventing themselves, or we would think that they're preventing themselves from, from the, uh, the ally, the Lord being able to get in. And what does God say? He says, listen, I will invade. I will come in with intimacy. When the door is locked and you think even I'm outside, you can't keep me out because I'm going to invade your personal space because I want to be intimate with you. I want to be right where you are. I want to be within that 24 feet. And then he says, or excuse me, 24 inches, two feet. He says, that's not even close enough for me. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm coming all the way in. Look at the degrees of intimacy. And then you tell me this morning, what degree of intimacy do you have with the Lord? Is he outside the locked door and you're just trying to stay saved and stay safe? Has he come inside and said, listen, peace to you. Don't be afraid of who's outside. I, want, I came to give you peace. I didn't die so that you could be in fear as a Christian. I died so that you could have the peace that surpasses all understanding as a Christian. Let me in. Or has he breathed upon you and it's so intimate that his spirit dwells within you? See, before you're saved, the scripture says that the Lord comes and he knocks on the door of your heart and it says, if you would let me in, my father and I will come and we will dine with you. Right? So that's, that's uh, uh, conviction. Why is it convicting? Because we know he's knocking. I won't put this on you, but I remember what it was like for me when the Lord would knock on, on the door of my heart. Vaughn, you got to stop getting high. <coughs> no, I can't really answer that door right now. I knew it was him, but I, no, I can't really do that. You got to stop using your body 
and using women in a way that is ridiculous and perverted. No, I can't really answer that door right now. You gotta stop lying and cheating and stealing from people. No, I can't really answer that door right now. That's convicting. The more knocking you hear, that's convicting. Here with the believer, he just comes on in like it's his house. He don't have to knock. You see the difference of conviction and intimacy? He's knocking on the hearts of some people and they refuse to open the door. Once you've opened the door and he's come into your life, it says that even if the door is locked, you're in the house with your family and next thing you know, Jesus is just there. Hey, peace, how's everybody doing? Like he owns the place. How much better is it for Jesus to be able to walk in like he owns the place? Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. This is also right after the crucifixion. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned. They were using their minds. Somebody say amen. amen. You got to actually talk to people about God and think about the things of God. Listen, it says, while they conversed, talked, and reasoned, thought, Jesus himself drew near and went with them invaded their personal space. Their eyes were restrained so they didn't know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are, are sad? One whose uh, name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He's talking trash to Jesus. Jesus is like, hey man, why are you guys sad? You're crying and, and talking about stuff. What are you guys talking about? And they're like, man, are you, who are you? The whole town is talking about what happened to Jesus. Are you the only one that's not paying attention? But they're talking to Jesus. <laughs> Verse 19, he said to them, well, what things? Oh, I love Jesus. Like he knows the answer, but he's going to make you think anyway. <laughs> Just picture this. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Two guys are walking. Come on, Isaiah, RJ. Just stay right there in front of David. And you guys are going to walk. And, and talk about God. Go ahead, walk that way. And then, black Jesus <laughs> rolls up on them. Man, what are you guys talking about? And they say, oh, are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? Jesus was killed. He was crucified. We thought he was going to be our savior. And, and he says, well, well what Jesus? Who, who, who's Jesus? He wants them. Go ahead, sit down. You guys are great actors. <laughs> Jesus is like, He's so amazing. We think that he's going to show up and just hit you with the book like you're walking here. Take this, read it, you'll know everything you know. No, he just grabbed you on the shoulder and treats you like a child. Well, what Jesus? Are you talking about the Jesus of like the, the Christian church? Are you talking about the, the Mormon Jesus? Are you talking about the Muslim Jesus who's just a prophet? Like you guys tell me, who are we really talking about or who are you really crying about right now? Oh, he's a good God. Oh, he's a good God. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. So Jesus comes in and invades their privacy. He invades their personal space, right? And he begins to get them to uh, a place of intimacy. When you read through the rest of the story, what ends up happening is as they walk, Jesus says, it says that Jesus begins to open the scriptures and preach to them about himself. Well, doesn't it say this in the word about Jesus? Doesn't it say that he had to die so that he could actually be uh, risen from the dead? He's preaching to them about, about himself. And then it says that 
you know when they really realized who he was? When they had communion. They sat down at his house. It says when he broke the bread, they were like, oh, God, it's Jesus. Many of us are so close to God, but we don't really know him. We don't really have intimacy with him. And what he says is, I want intimacy. So the, the most intimate thing is communion. You take him actually all the way into your body, right? So when that happens, their eyes are open, and then he disappears. But he invaded their whole life. They were just going for a walk as friends. And Jesus says, I'm coming to invade that, and I'm coming to bring intimacy. He's a good God. To the believer, he invades with intimacy. To the non-believer, he invades with conviction. A good test, I would say, is in your relationship with God, is it more conviction or intimacy? Are we behaving more like believers or non-believers? Because if, if it's all conviction all the time, that means that we're not growing in our relationship with him like we should. There should be conviction because none of us are perfect, but there should be far more instances where we feel God just saying, I want to be more intimate with you. I want to be closer to you. I want to walk with you. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to come into the house with the doors locked and be intimate with you. I'm going to close with just three things I want to tell you that you need to remember uh, as you leave today. The first is that conviction is a gift from God. This is how you know that there's still hope. If there is no conviction, there is no hope for you. That means that God is done trying to make you feel bad about who you are, and he's decided to let you be who you want to be. That's a sad reality, but that's what the Bible says. You can get to a certain point where he stops knocking, or your ears have grown so deaf that you can't hear the knock is probably a better way to say that. Where he's like, look, I've told you a hundred times. I've called you a hundred times. I showed you a hundred times. I stayed outside on your porch and waited for you to leave, and you stepped right over me and jumped in your car and took off. I've been doing that for years with you. And if this is who you want to be, I love you enough to let you be that person. Conviction is a gift from God. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Thank him for it. Every time you feel bad about anything, thank God I still have a heart. Be careful. If we don't let the Lord invade that heart and invade your privacy, eventually you will be void of conviction and lost forever. Romans 1.28 is a scripture that you can go to, that area of Romans. But Romans 1.28 says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. God says, look, if that's how you want to think and that's how you want to live and that's how you want to treat yourself and treat other people, go ahead. See, we see this happen in families a lot of times where it's like they just, they just can't do anything else. There's nothing else you can do for your kid. And they just say, you got to just, just go. It's a sad day. It's a sad day when they just ha have to let you be who you want to be. See, with a parent, they, they have this hope that, man, maybe one day they'll come back. Maybe one day they'll act right. If they don't know the Lord, I don't know where the hope is, though. And if as a parent you haven't showed them the Lord, it's one thing for you to show a child the Lord and then them to deny that and go where they want to go. Because at least you know that there's, like, there's, a, there's a beacon of hope that they can always turn back to. But imagine when you've never showed them who the Lord is and you haven't followed the Lord yourself, and then they have to go out into the world, and you know that they have no beacon, no homing beacon, no direction to go. Good Lord, how sad. How demoralizing. If we don't want to retain God in our knowledge, he'll give us over to a debased mind. If you still have conviction, thank God for it and turn. Thank God. Be like the woman at the well and say, you know what? You're exactly right. 
I have had five, and the one I'm with now ain't the right one. Help me. Help me. Help me. Number two, Jesus is not interested in a casual relationship or relationship with limitations. Many of us would like to get saved, but then just kind of have this cool kind of like, oh, we don't really, we don't, we don't really have a name. We're not really like together. We're not really like boyfriend, girlfriend. Like we're, we're just kind of cool. That's not, Jesus doesn't do cool. That's not, that's not really how he, he does it. And he also doesn't do limitations. You know, when you've been through a lot of bad relationships, it's so funny when you get into a new relationship because right off the bat, you lay out all the limitations, right? You just met the person, the guy or the girl. You're like, okay, well, look, well, here's what I don't do. Here's what you can't do. Here's where you can't say. Here's where we won't go. Like, you lay out all these limitations. He's like, no, no, I don't really do that either. It's all or nothing with me. If you're his, there's no such thing as privacy. So there's no invasion of your privacy because you don't get privacy. Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) He's going to be all up in your business all the time. Listen to these statements, whether you've said them before or somebody said them to you or you've thought them before. Things that Jesus might say. What do you mean, why did I show up at your job? What do you, like, like I can't just show up here when I want to? Is that an invasion of your privacy? What do you mean, why did I check your phone and log in to see every call and text that you made for the last 90 days? What do you mean, why did I do, can I not do that? Is that an invasion of your privacy? What do you mean, why did I check every withdrawal and every transaction? Is that an invasion? of your privacy? Can I not look at everything you bought and everywhere you went? What do you mean, why did I bring the kids to eat next door to the restaurant you're having girls night out at? (laughs) I know you're going to the women's conference in Whittier. We wanted to eat in Whittier. Have I invaded your privacy by showing up with the kids next door? What do you mean? Why did I show up to get takeout from the Buffalo Wild Wings you and your boys were watching Thursday Night Football at? We wanted some wings too, just because you're here with your boys. I can't bring the kids. See, we've turned our, our personal hatred of an invasion of privacy into a trust issue that we can flip back on the other people, but we can't play that game with God, right? Like, we don't like our privacy to be invaded, so what we do is we flip it on the other person and say, you have trust issues. You showed up here because you don't trust me. You checked the phone because you don't trust me. You checked the banking because you don't trust me, right? So it's actually your problem, when in reality, you just don't like somebody all up in your business and invading your privacy or your personal space, but you cannot do that with God. You know why? Because he doesn't have trust issues, and he knows the truth about everything. You can't lie to him and make it his fault somehow. He's perfect. He knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. He knows your pride, and he's perfect. And yet he still invades every single one of those areas that I just talked about. So it's not his fault. It's our issue with privacy. In our relationships, I believe that showing up is what we should do 
because that's the model that Jesus gives us. If Jesus does that, and it's the right thing, and it produces good fruit, then why am I trying to convince myself and my wife that we should do something different because that's how everybody else in the world feels and get the same fruit that every other relationship and everybody else in the world gets? That's stupid, if you ask me. Let's not show up for each other. Let's give each other boundaries. Let's give each other places of privacy where we're not allowed to go into. And then let's hope that what that always produces for everybody else we know will not be what it produces for us. And let's not do what God does, which is say, there is no privacy. There is no invasion of space. Everything that's yours is mine. Everything that's mine is yours. And we're going to be fruitful together and have intimacy. You guys do what you want to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to do what the Lord does. The world calls it clingy. Jesus says it's united. The world says you're hovering. Jesus says you're a good steward. The world says you are untrustworthy because you're treating the other person like they're untrustworthy. The word says that you are wise concerning the enemy that's out to get you. Privacy and personal space. What are we talking about? I'm in a place where I love when my wife and children show up and invade my privacy. I don't want to be anywhere, I don't want to be doing anything, and I don't want to be saying anything that they can't show up and be witness to. So it's a good thing when they show up. If they show up to the Buffalo Wild Wings that I'm supposed to be at with a couple of my boys and there's a couple of girls there, well, thank God they showed up. Better act right. When we get to that place with God and we see that he is an in and interested in a relationship with you that has limitations, it's wonderful when you get there with God. What you lose, it doesn't even compare to what you gain. When you show up to a party, we've been at family parties, family gatherings lately, like when you show up to a party and you're like Mary and I, we're like, we always bring Jesus with us. People like when we show up, they're like, oh man, they brought Jesus again. He always comes with them. Like, they never leave him alone. They never leave him at home and just, we just want to hang out with Bon and Mary. No, we roll with Jesus. He always comes with us. So what do we lose? We lose a little bit of where people are like, well, we can't say this or we can't say that. But what do we gain? We get to sit there with Jesus like, man, we are so happy. <laughs> like, look at these crazy people. They're sad and they're angry and they're frustrated. Jesus, like, can we help? Can you help? But thank God we're going home together. We had a great time. We got to see how close we are together. And now we can pray for people that aren't maybe necessarily that close and have those limitations and that privacy issue. I'm always happy to go home with Mary and Jesus. Always. Last one. And I'm going to let you go. I'm just going to read through this scripture. The last one is to have your privacy invaded, invaded by God is an amazing gift. Lastly, I want to know when you leave today, to have your privacy invaded by God is an amazing gift. I'm going to read through the scripture. Isaiah, you can come, and we're just going to pray. Psalms chapter 139 is probably what I think one of the best uh, scriptures that really encompasses what we're talking about, where a believer 
has come to the realization that Jesus doesn't want any limitations and he is an invader of your personal space, an invader of your privacy, and the gift that that, that, that is to a believer. And it's David in the book of Psalms, chapter 139. David says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. He's invading the mind, right? You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness now shall not hide me from you, but the night even shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they, are, they all were written, the days that are fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Bow your heads. Lord, we thank you for being the God that we cannot escape. We thank you that you invade our privacy. You invade our thought life, Lord God. You invade the, the, the actions. There's nowhere that you won't go, Lord. If we ascend into heaven, there you are. If we go down into hell, there you are, Lord. When it's dark, it's light about us because of who you are and the light that you are, Lord. Let us be men and women that come to the light and seek after you. Stop running from you, Lord God. Stop trying to hold you at bay. Stop trying to keep a, a certain distance from you in personal space, having privacy, Lord God. It all comes from you. It's all for you, Lord God. There's nothing you don't know, nothing you don't see, Lord God. And it's a beautiful gift, Lord, to know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, Lord, and that you track us everywhere that we go, that you would leave the 99 for us as the one. The things that the world has somehow convinced us are a curse are your greatest blessings and your greatest gifts, Lord God. We denounce and deny what the enemy and what the world has told us, Lord, and we say that let every man be a liar and let your word be true this morning, God. We need you more than anything and anyone else.
And this morning we want you, Lord God. If you're here, the eyes are closed, the heads are bowed. If God has convicted your heart, if you hear him this morning knocking on the door saying, let me in. If you feel the Holy Spirit saying to you, you cannot live like this. It is sin. You can be saved and you can be healed, but you have to let me in. You've got to stop. Jesus is the only help. Jesus is the only hope. Don't walk away from that this morning like the rich young ruler who turned his back and went back to his old identity, his own way of worth, his own way of valuing himself. Be like the woman at the well who said, that is the truth about me. Can you help me? And Jesus will. He came to bring conviction into your life, not to condemn you. You are already condemned. Without Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will go to hell for all of eternity. And all he says is, just like he met the woman at the well, there were not a bunch of hoops that she had to jump through. All she had to do was say, that is the truth about me. How can you help me? And now she waits for us in heaven. One conversation, one day at a well where she met Jesus and she let him in as he knocked. The same can be true for you this morning. If there's conviction in your heart, because you know you're not saved, you know you're not forgiven, you know that you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, not the God of the Christian faith, but as your Savior, who you have said, that is the truth about me, help me. Let today be that day. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Between you and the Lord, would you just raise your hand? You're not saved, but you want to be. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've never confessed all of your sins. I see your hand, sis. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? This is the truth about me. I'm just like the woman at the well. It's just a different story. Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Let him invade. Let him invade. Let him invade. For the rest of us, as we worship, I'm going to close this in prayer and release you. But if you're here and you want to pray, if you want to be prayed for, what I'm going to ask you as we open the altars is if you're here and you know that you've been walking in a way that, that says you want privacy and you want personal space and you want a, a walk with God where there's limitations on where he can and cannot go, what he can and cannot do. But this morning you would say, maybe you see a glimpse of what life could be like when Jesus just invades. You've locked the door, but he just comes in anyway. You're walking and talking and he just comes right into your personal space and begins to walk and talk with you. You want to be in a place where David said, I can't escape you and I'm no longer trying to. When I wake up, there you are. When I go to bed, there you are. When I'm with friends, there you are. When I'm at work, there you are. When I'm in a good season, there you are. When I'm in a bad season, there you are. If you want that, it's available to you. God gives us these stories to say, this is who I am and who I want to be for you and with you. I'm going to open the altars for intimacy this morning. Praying for intimacy with Jesus. Praying for intimacy with the Spirit of God. 
Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the men and women who have gone before us, God. We thank you for those who turned away from you and walked away, Lord God, to, to convict us not to do the same. But we also thank you for those who turned to you and went into amazing relationships of intimacy with you, Lord God. We pray that you would impart this into our marriages, impart this into our families, our relationships with our kids, Lord God, that we would not shy away and seek privacy, but we would seek intimacy and union and openness in our relationships, Lord. We love you this morning. Meet us here at this altar. Meet us here at this altar, Lord. Come through the locked door of our hearts and change us from the inside out, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. grave I've been raised when I needed a savior to save me Jesus you made a way listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.